0: Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, these verses, uh, verses 6 through 11. We've been talking about uh, things that we need to do in the new year, and really all the time. We spoke one week about serving, that the key to happiness in the Christian faith is serving. We spoke a week about giving, and uh, last week we talked about worshiping. And today I want to talk to you about witnessing, witnessing. And that probably strikes fear in most Christians' hearts when we talk about witnessing or sharing your faith. We all are introverts when it comes to witnessing, aren't we? Uh, very few people are that bold and that outgoing with it, but uh, it amazes me, Ex- introverts go crazy at sporting events and games and television programs and barbecues. I think we just need to get comfortable with the idea that we need to be proclaiming Christ. Uh, he's done great things in us, hasn't he? He's done great things for us. Uh, I asked George if he was scared when he got up here and he said, yeah, you know, and I know that he was, but he had this desire in him To share what God was doing in his heart and in his life. He wanted to lift up the name of the Lord. And that should be the case in every one of our lives. So let's look uh, today at the idea of giving, a year on mission. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. They're wanting to know about end time events. And that's probably the thing that most new Christians want to know. And a lot of old Christians want to know is, when's the Lord coming back? Some have kind of made themselves look silly for trying to predict dates. Uh, that You're not going to do that. Only the Lord knows. But we all want to know about that. But what Christ does is he steers them to something even more important than the timing of his return. Basically, he's going to tell them, listen, it, it's not for you to know that, but I have a mission for you while you're waiting. I've got something for you to do. He said to them in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or seasons. Verse 8 will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so we find here one of the instances of God commissioning us or giving us our mission, what we're supposed to be doing. And so he says, quit worrying about when I'm coming back and start focusing on what you need to be doing. And he says this, and I love the wording in this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you'll just go and witness He said, you will be my witnesses. Because being a witness is different than just giving a witness. Uh, It's it's not something, witnessing isn't something we do as much as it's something that we are. That our life, that our, our reputation, that our character, that the way that we behave ourselves, the way that we conduct ourselves under the strains and stresses of this world, that is what being a witness is all about. Being a witness is great if we verbalize it. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we ought to be verbal with our faith. We ought to share our faith. We ought to be able to give answers for the hope that's within us. But more than that, we ought to live a life that causes people to question us about where that hope comes from. That they would look at us and say, man, there's something different about you. What, what is it? How do you handle these stresses the way you do? Or how do you keep your head up even though things are going wrong in in life around you? How are you holding up under the pressure that you're under? And they begin to ask, what's going on in you that allows you to live this way? And then we're prepared to give this answer. You see, witnessing isn't just what we say, it's what we do. It's what we do. Let me give you some things in this passage, some points that I want to share with you today. Number one is this, is that God has given you and I a purpose. And that purpose is to be a witness. It's to be a witness. He he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and we must not take away the the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we uh, we Baptists we kind of zone in on the Father and the Son, and we forget that there is a Holy Spirit. That God is three in one, not two in one. And that the Holy Spirit does a work in our life. And without Him, something's missing. But we also need to understand that the day you and I got saved, it was because the Holy Spirit drew us in. The Holy Spirit called us. And when we got saved, we received the fullness of the Godhead the Scripture teaches. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, His job is multiple. But one of the things He does is He empowers us to be witnesses. That no matter what our personality type is, we can be a witness. We may do it in different ways, but we'll be a witness. We may be the type that that stands on the corner and street preaches. We'll be a witness there. Or we might be the type that hands out bread and tells people, hey, God loves you. Our witnessing will be, but we'll all be empowered to do just that. But God has given you a purpose. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to how the apostle described this purpose. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we have this ministry of bringing people into a right relationship with God, that we're to go out and help reconcile people to God. And that's important that we understand is that people, because of our sins, we are at odds with God. Sin has separated man from God. Sin has got in the way of a good, healthy relationship. And while we want to say, hey, we're all God's children, which is maybe true in one sense, but on the other sense, sin has cut some folks off from their Heavenly Father. And it's our job, this is a ministry given to us, is to take the hand of our friends and the hand of God and say, hey, this God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And and here's what's in the way. and, and, And bring them to Christ. So he says he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He says in 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You realize that every one of us, when we got saved, you took on a pretty important role. you got a ministry for one thing. We all think people go into the ministry or this person has a ministry. Brothers and sisters, as a believer in Christ, you have a ministry. And that's a ministry of reconciliation. It's not just the preacher that goes out and tries to lead people to Christ. It's not just the Sunday school teachers that do it. But every one of us who named the name of Christ, every one of us has this ministry of reaching out to people. And bringing them to Christ. But he also says this. And think about this. We sometimes are very humble. And we ought to be. But he says we've also been given the job of being an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador represents one, one nation to another nation. I was listening to a fellow share his testimony. And he had done some legal work down in Uganda. A man named Bob Goff. And he went down and did a, a bunch of legal work there. He made such friends with the Ugandans. That they made him an ambassador for them. And in his little testimony, he was in a church. He said, man, it's wonderful. He says, I've got special flags that they give me to put on my Jeep. He says, I- I've got diplomatic immunity. And he looked in the front row, and there was a bunch of young people sitting there. He says, I could kill one of you, and I could get away with it. I have immunity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and he kind of joked about these things. But seriously, he was an ambassador. And he was representing the nation of Uganda to the United States. You and I have been given a job very similar to that. We are to represent the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. That we're to represent God. He says that he gives this message of appeal and it comes through us to our, our loved ones. And so we have this purpose. And our purpose of being a witness is accomplished in several ways. One, it's accomplished in our words. And we talked about that in Psalms 107, 1 and 2. We open the service with this verse. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble. In other words, if you've been redeemed, say so. If God's done wonderful things in your life, say so. If he has set you free from the bondage of sin, then say so. If he saved your family or if he has got you away from an addiction, then say so. Say what God has done for you. Proclaim the goodness of the Lord. We won't take the time to read that whole chapter 107 of Psalms, but man, I'd encourage you to go and look at it this week. Because in that passage, he describes different groups of people. He says, there are some that were here, but God saved them. And there were some that were here, but God delivered them. And over and over, he described people who God had delivered. And you and I fit in that category. If you've been saved, say so. We need to speak up, and we need to use our words. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association had an article recently, and in the article, they suggested the following outline for witnessing with your words. They said, number one, bring out, uh, bring, out spiritual, bring our conversations to spiritual matters. In other words, we, we have conversations all the time. People say, well, I'm too nervous to talk to people. We talk to people all the time. We talk to people at the grocery store, at the gas station, at, at Starbucks. We talk to people all the time. And they said, just simply make it a practice to try to bring the conversation around to spiritual things eventually. And there's not much that you couldn't do that with. Talking about the drought. Man, bring it around to spiritual conversations. Say, hey, we need to really pray for the drought. We need God to bless. And you just bring it around to these things. And they said the second thing to do is stories. So Jesus told stories, and people love to hear stories. And they said tell God stories. And the author of this article described uh, God sightings. He said think of things that, that God has done in your life just in the last week or so. And look for opportunities to tell people about that. Uh, he, he mentioned shoveling snow, and he said his neighbor came out and helped him shovel snow for two hours. And then on the ride in the taxi cab to the conference he was going to, he said, Man, this snow is crazy. And he says, But you know, God really provided for me this week. He sent my neighbor to help me s- shovel snow. And he says, I just, I was praying, and then it happened. Here's the, and he said, Tell stories like that, what God is doing in your life. And isn't God moving in our lives? I mean, is God not answering prayers for us? Is he not delivering our loved ones? Is he not set us free? If he's done it, then say so. Look for opportunities every chance you get to share that. And then third, he said in word, we need to share the plan of salvation. And this is something that every one of us as believers needs to do is is look to God's word and be able to tell people what they need to do to receive Christ as their Savior. That we need to be able to, and you know, it happens mostly by personal experience, doesn't it? It's hard for me to tell you to do something that I've never done myself. If you have received Christ as your Savior, you need to be able to tell others how you did it. And how they can do it. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. In other words, towards those outside of the church, those outside of the faith. He says, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In other words, it's important how we speak, and it's important that we know how to give answers to people. Which brings me to the second part of how we're witnesses, is we're witnesses in our lives. Not just by what we say, but by what we do. And specifically, I think, in how we respond to difficulties, Listen, brothers and sisters, you know if you've served God any length of time, that just because you got saved does not mean you do not face difficult times. But how we as believers respond to those difficult times will impact how effective we are as witnesses. If we fall apart and collapse just like the unsaved do, what witness is that? We need to be able to turn our hearts to God and lift our burdens to God and put our faith in Him. And we need to be able to bear these burdens with Christ at our side. How we deal with that. Anybody can be a light in good times. It's the difficult times. It's the dark times that our light needs to shine the brightest. First Peter says this. But even if you should suffer. Think of these words he's using here. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And then he says, have no fear of them. And he talks about the fear of others. He says, nor be troubled. So he's used these three words, suffer, fear, and trouble. These are things that affect us all the time, aren't they? He says, even if these things occur, but in your hearts, he says in verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. See, he's describing the fact that we're going to have times of suffering, times of fear, times of stress, but we need to live in such a way that he says people are going to question us about why we have the hope that we have. Brothers and sisters... If anybody ought to be the optimist in the crowd, it ought to be us. Man, if anybody's sitting in the, in the doctor's office that, that ought to be positive, it should be Christians. I mean, we may face the same diseases, but we have a God that sees us through all of these things. We may even die of the diseases that we face, but we have a God who is waiting for us on the other side. It's as if nothing here below could impact us to the point where we're not winners. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And we ought to have that, and I know that it can be taken to extremes. I'll never forget we had a young fellow at the Tulare Church. When I was in high school, I was witnessing to this guy, Ted Beatty. And he was just a, a, boy, he was a redneck. He lived on the dairy, and that was his thing. And and he got saved and started coming to church. And I remember Ted taking me out to the dairy, and and I'd never been on a dairy. So we go out, and he's showing me all around. He showed me the cow food, the silage, and he goes, smell it. And it smelled terrible, and he shoved it in my face. I'll never forget that. Nasty smell. And he put me on the back of one of these four-wheel ATVs. And he started going, and he was going as fast as that thing would go. And I said, Ted, stop. We're going to die. And he goes, then we'll go to heaven. <laughs> when we stopped, I had to explain to him, look, I'm looking forward to heaven, but I'm just not in a hurry to get there. <laughs> but as Christians, we ought to have this hope in us that no matter what's going on around us, it's going to be okay. God is still on his throne. Man, when the economy turns south and everything's bad, it ought, it, it ought not be Christians that are gloom and doom. We ought to be the ones that say, we need to pray. We're going to be okay. Uh, hey, God will supply my daily bread. He will meet my needs. He'll take care of me. He'll make sure that I'm okay. If we're just collapsing and we're boohooing and we're as negative as everyone else, then why in the world would they come to us and say, how are you so hopeful in the midst of troubles? Man, if you're sitting there about ready to end it all, why are they going to say, how do you have this hope? We're witnesses in the way that we deal with these things. And we're witnesses also with our good works. And I I get so tired of people saying, well, you know, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. and, And somehow we've used that as an excuse to say the only thing that really matters is what's on the inside. But brothers and sisters, what's on the outside matters too. See, God knows exactly what's in the heart, but it is our good works. It is these outward actions, these things that we do in our world, in our community, in our, in our neighborhoods. It's those things that draw people's attention so that God can be exalted and glorified. If we're just going to come to church and, and run home and open the garage door and get in the garage as fast as we can and pull the shades and, and never see our neighbors, and man, if we're hiding out being Christian hermits... Something's wrong. There's got to be this outward actions, these good works. And he says, then people will see our Father which is in heaven and they'll glorify him. We witness by these works. We really know the truth, don't we, that talk is cheap. Amen? It's easy to tell someone. It's a whole lot more difficult and a whole lot more meaningful to show someone what a Christian is. 1 Peter 2 and 12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's he saying? He said, keep the way you live right, so that when those outside the church, once again, bring accusation against you, they're going to see the kind of life you're living, and they're going to look foolish for even questioning you. What we do matters. So we have been given a purpose to be witnesses. And we've also been given a power to be those witnesses. Don't you love that? That God didn't just ask us to do something or didn't give us this task of being a witness, but he empowered us to do that. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. We've received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. It empowers us to overcome our own weaknesses. It empowers, he empowers us to overcome our fear. He empowers us to overcome evil. He empowers us to overcome the objections of the world. If we trust in the Holy Spirit and let Him lead us and guide us and direct us, we can be the witnesses that we need to be. You say, well, I don't know. I, I don't know enough. I, I don't have all the answers. No, but you have a God that has all the answers. And His Holy Spirit has filled you and empowered you. And you'd be amazed at how much you have inside you that when the Holy Spirit wants to use it, He will pull it out and He'll use it. We have the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. And we talk about the Holy Spirit empowering us. One of the ways He empowers us is by putting these wonderful things in our life. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. and You think about those things, and those have empowered us to be witnesses. Man, if you want to up your witness game, ask God's Holy Spirit to fill you with more of these things. You and I will never be effective witnesses if we don't have love in our hearts. We just won't. You ever been in a service when... The preaching seemed to have no love behind it. That it was just a, a verbal whipping. And yet I've been in some services when we got whooped, but there was love behind it. And how effective that is. You and I, we have to care for people. We have to love people if we're going to be a witness. And, and this joy and peace that we have. All of these things. Patience. 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 Someone once said, don't pray for patience. As James says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's where it comes from. Man, there are times when our faith is put to the test, but God is doing something there, isn't he? 2 Corinthians 12, listen to what he says. He said to me, Paul is speaking in the midst of struggles and difficulties. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this power that we have from the Holy Spirit... Christ, or the, Paul teaches here that that power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, this morning, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives while we're struggling, and He empowers us, and He gives us the strength to do what we need to do. And you might be sitting there and you, you may think, I just, I don't have the ability to be a witness. It's good you think that. Because in your weakness right now, that's when the Holy Spirit's power can be the strongest. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his Holy Spirit. Third, God has given you a place to be a witness. He's given every one of us a place. And when, in our text there, he said, you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And he he almost gives this outward reaching. It it starts at home. And every one of you today are going to go home. Right? You're going to go home. And if you and I want to be witnesses, that's where it begins. It starts at home. You've got children, or you've got grandchildren, or you've got neighbors, but it starts right there. We can't come to church and say, oh, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to be a great witness. If we're not one at home, we're wasting our time here. It starts right at home. How are we living our lives? Are we living them for Christ in front of those around us? It starts at home. God has given us a place. Deuteronomy said, "And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, God speaking to the nation of Israel. And the words he's talking about is the great, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, these are things that will be on your heart. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, it begins all at home. Aren't you glad to see the young ones in our church? Man, that's, that's where it begins. And I look out and Seth's back there and he's got a little Justice. Justice is going to be a good Baptist. He fell asleep on the preacher already. but <laughs> Man, Seth, what a blessing it is that you have your son with you in church. Because that's where it starts. Whatever God has for Seth's life, whatever he wants to use him in, the most important thing is for him to reach his son first. You know, every one of us have a, a sphere of influence. And I'm not saying that Brazil's not important. I'm not saying that Africa's not important. I'm not saying that the, the Muslim world's not important. They're all important, but it all begins at home. It begins there. And then, fourth, God has given us a promise in this passage. He says, you shall be witnesses unto me. And then he tells them, I am going to come back. He ascends into the heavens, and the disciples are standing there staring in awe. I mean, who wouldn't stare? You're talking to Jesus, and he's lifting up and going into the sky. Who wouldn't stare? And he gets so far that he's just gone, and they're they're standing there. And then these angels appear and say, what are you standing here gazing into the heavens for? Basically saying, hey, you've got work to do. Didn't you just hear what he said? You need to be witnesses. And he gave you a pretty big territory to cover. You don't have time to waste staring into heaven. But he tells him this. He says, this same Jesus that you just saw leave is going to come again in like manner. And there's this promise for us that Christ is coming. And that's a great promise, isn't it? I mean, we sing about that, don't we? Jesus is coming soon, and and all these songs, and we look for the coming of Christ. But in another sense, it it gives us a feeling of urgency with this idea of being a witness that Christ is coming again. And that since he's coming again, there's some folks that maybe we need to be witnessing to, that we don't have time to, to waste, that we need to live every day for Christ. That we need to seize every moment possible to bring up spiritual issues with folks. That we need to be able to compel them to come in because he's coming again. And when he comes, there'll be the great separation. There'll be those that enter into heaven because of their relationship with Christ. But brothers, there'll be those that spend eternity in hell. Because they don't have this relationship with Christ we have a responsibility to share that with them. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus said that we are, He was given all authority. He talks about the power there. And then He told them in 19, Go therefore and make disciples. He gave them that commission again to be witnesses. And then He ends in verse 20 and He says this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ is with us. And He says, even to the end of the age the end of this world. In John 14, we find the message that we should deliver. As he was leaving the earth the first time, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's home, our house, our many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will make you to take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And aren't you glad Christ is coming again? What what great news. What What a great promise that he's coming. And that he has been working on a place for us all these years. He's got room for us. But one of the disciples said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And we don't know how to get there. And Jesus answered. and He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. what an amazing responsibility is placed on us. We need to share that with folks. Because there are people that are going to try to get to heaven based on their good deeds. There's people trying to get there by living a good life, or a righteous life. There's folks that think they're going to go to heaven because they're an American, and after all, America is a Christian nation. There's folks that are thinking they're going to go to heaven because of somebody in their family who's saved. Well, my grandfather was a preacher. My great grandfather was a deacon, and oh, we've been in church. My my whole family goes way back in church, but we don't go to heaven by other people's relationships with Christ. We get to heaven through our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ this morning? Have you ever come to a place where you have surrendered your life to Jesus? Asked Him to forgive you of your sins. Have you ever gotten that? If not, boy, today's the day. This is the time. Because He is coming. We don't know when. But He is coming. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I remember when I gave my life to Christ. Let me ask you this. Do you know someone that needs Christ. Because you and I have a responsibility to be witnesses to them in the way that we live and in the way that we talk. God, give us the...